The Beauty Call podcast starts now. Well, I would definitely have to thank pageantry for this because I learned how to do makeup in pageantry. And Mm -hmm. no joke, this is, I said this last week, um, some of the guys I was working out with that are um, enlisted, they were telling me, Doc, you know, we need more time in the morning to get ready to get to the clinic. Can we start clinic a little later? And my words were like, if I'm a beauty queen and I can get ready before you guys, something's not right here. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Oh, my goodness. When you need advice on beauty, who are you gonna call? Beauty Call with Janice McGuinn. Janice is easy and loves to have casual yet informative conversations on sex, beauty, love, fashion, work-life balance, diet, fitness, nutrition, relationship, and life's ups and downs. Join the Beauty Call podcast and learn inside secrets to true beauty. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Beauty Call with Janice McQueen. I'm really excited to have Dr. Corinne Devon here with me today. She is an orthodontist and a commander of the Navy, and you know her mostly because she has been a pageant winner of so many pageants. She was Ms. Galaxy, Ms. United States, and Ms. Earth, and she is here to share with us her tips and tricks on what it's like to compete in pageants and to balance that career, as well as being a pageant queen. So welcome, Dr. Corinne Devon. How are you? I'm doing wonderful, and greetings from Italy. Thank you so much for having me on your show. It is a pleasure and honor to um, be part of what you're building here on this podcast. Well, well, I appreciate that. This is really all about just sharing and caring, and, and, and even though it's called Beauty Call, it's about beauty within as well as of course you have so much beauty on the outside as well and and I think that is a true testament to all the wonderful things that you've done so why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and give us an overview of your extremely extensive resume (laughs) absolutely well I am a commander in the navy and I'm also a board certified orthodontist I proudly serve uh, the active duty families and um, their children here in Catania Italy Sicily And I got into pageantry as a complete dare in my mid-20s when I was in dental school. So for me to um, have these accomplishments really wasn't just something that happened, you know, in a day was a a series of just time and true testament, just like anything. Becoming an orthodontist took me 11 years. Well, competing in pageant, I've been doing that for over 11 years. And you don't get to the point where you are in life without realizing that you had a team or in my case, a big Navy that helped you get there. <laughs> I know. And you, um, so you had a, you said a dare to enter your very first pageant. So tell us what your very first pageant was and what that, and how did the dare come into play and make you interested in doing a pageant for the first time? Absolutely. When I was in my second year of dental school, the Miss, uh, the Miss USA pageant was held in Las Vegas and the girl who got second runner up was a dental student. And one of my girlfriends in class was telling me about it. And she's like, Corinne, you should think about doing this. They hold the national pageant in Las Vegas. Cause I was going to university of Nevada, Las Vegas for dental school. Right. And before I could answer one of the guys in my class looked at me, turned around, looked at us and said, Oh no, Corinne could never do that. <laughs> oh, <laughs> never say I- never to a girl. <laughs> yes. Yes. Because in dental school, you're with the same 75 people for every class for four years. You don't rotate. Only your faculty, your teachers rotate. So 
I did um, Miss Nevada USA. I got first runner up um, when I competed. And for me, it, it was almost like opening Pandora's box. It was something that I never did, um, never really knew. And I met a lot of really interesting and fascinating people in pageantry. Mm -hmm. And it took me a few years to kind of come into my own but one thing that people don't realize is the camaraderie in pageant is parallel to what I have in the military. Um, one of the first titles that I won, one big titles was, it was um, All American Miss. Every single girl in that pageant, including the first runner up, sent me a care package when I deployed to Iraq three months later after winning a title. Oh, wow. And to come across that women, I just met over a course a weekend, but we bonded so quickly. To me, you don't find that outside the military. And so that's, you know, something that most people don't know when they meet me. They think I've been doing it since I was a little girl. They don't realize that my first pageant was when I was 23, 24 years old. Mm -hmm. But it's what's kept me in it because to find that camaraderie, find that sense of service and find those women who are really able to kind of take you in and make you feel like family instantly, that is a rare, rare quality to see outside the military. You know, it is. And, and even though this isn't a pageant podcast, so to speak, I, I have, of course, so many friends. And because of that camaraderie, and I've met some of my very best friends in pageantry, and I stay in touch with everybody. Like, you know, I met you at Ms. United States and saw you compete on stage and just thought you were fantastic and just so natural. And, and I think that people that don't understand pageantry, hopefully through listening to the the guests that I have here, because there is always a connection on some level of many of the people that I know, either they are have been in pageants or I know them through being a sponsor or judging something with them or uh, working and networking in business. But there is that camaraderie. There's that sisterhood that comes with being in a pageant, and it, it does make you a little bit more uh, aware of how you can make a difference in the world, and and it, it really does fine-tune your charity work and also helps you with your scholarships along the way and and of course you know we're here talking about you know pageantry but that's sort of just what got you sort of started and more competitive and it made you have that sisterhood and I think that's important for people to know and you started, I started fairly late in life at 17 was my very first pageant and I did it for the scholarship factor and because I enjoy performing and you did it through a dare, but yet it gave you that sense of community and that sense of sisterhood that is so nice to hear because of, you know, again, all of your accomplishments and, you know, what you're doing now, it just proves that you can be completely diverse in a pageant. You can meet all kinds of women from all walks of life. It's not just someone that wants to be an actress. <laughs> you know, can you it's every walk of life, every type of career out there. So tell me what it's like for you. You competed and you started when you were in your early 20s. And then you've done many different types of pageants from the United States system to the Earth system to Galaxy and, of course, USA. And then you you know, you compete now and competed in your 30s and that there is a difference. And, you know, I've competed. I competed in my teens. I competed in my 20s. I competed in my 30s and I competed in my 40s. So I understand that difference, but not everyone does. So, Corinne, can you tell us what it's what the difference is and how it affected you? Oh, absolutely. You know, the older that you get, it seems like your life gets busier. So some yeah. of the things that um, would bother you maybe in your 20s, you just kind of brush off in your 30s because you're kind of more focused on like 
the big goal, big goal at hand. You don't kind of sweat the small details. Right. But you also have to change how you train because you're a different person in your 20s than you are in your 30s. And I'm sure you can attest to what was important to you at one age is definitely not as your focus at a different age. Absolutely. Um, yeah. One, one thing that I would definitely tell um, people is competing and definitely in swimsuit, you know, competing to fit into a gown. I've competed in the same gown probably the last six, seven years. I am in better shape for a pageant than I am for any military physical fitness test I have ever taken, hands down. <laughs> <laughs> and one thing that has definitely changed is my diet. So in your 20s, ladies, enjoy it. It's much more forgiving because in your 30s, it doesn't matter how much you work out. If your diet is not in check, it will not make a difference. That it, is like- It shows does. up. You're like, what is that? Yeah. <laughs> Where did that come from? <laughs> so- I competed for Miss Earth, um, and I, I won the title before when I was interviewing for the judges because I competed for it twice. Um, the judges were like, "You know what's different?" And I'm like, "I live in Italy, where there is pasta and dessert and mm -hmm. wine, and it's mm -hmm. pizza, and it's everywhere, and I can't eat it." <laughs> Aww. Very in moderation, special, yes. In moderation, yes. On very special occasions, so. I tell people I've become more of a food snob because I have a huge sweet tooth. Even though I'm a dentist, I love sugar. And so if it doesn't taste like I'm on a, on cloud nine, I will not eat it because <laughs> it's just not worth it. So, yes. Um, so that is definitely one big difference between your 30s. And then also you, you kind of know who you are. And because your time is more limited, either whether it's your career, family life, you know, where, wherever you're at, you're more focused on what can you do now and what can you bring to the pageant and incorporate into your career? Because let's be mm -hmm. honest, a lot of us have full-time active careers and you want to be able to give that same energy into a pageant. But in order to do it, you have to be very innovative and in how you incorporate. So that way you truly are a queen 365 days a year, not the one week you become the queen and the week that you give up your title. You know, that's so true, and it's so great to hear you say that because I think, like what you said, you know, as you, and of course, it's not taking anything away from those that are competing that are in, that are young or, you know, preteens or teens or miss, um, you know, under 30. It's not taking anything away from that because you are at a different point in your life. And maybe when you're younger, you're, you're competing to get those skills to help you later on when you're in college or when you're out of college and you have that full-blown career. So I get that. And it's also maybe for scholarships. But then as you do get older, you compete maybe for a different reason. Maybe it's to give you a little bit of what you need to, it's sort of like a, it's not just a hobby. Of course, you've got to work at it hard, but you know what I mean? It's that having that little bit of time for yourself so that you are in the best shape so that you do feel great. And so that you do have a larger voice, but it is different. You're right. You have to like with any hobby or with exercise or spending time learning a different language or studying um, or doing something outside of your work and family, you have to dedicate time and effort and you have to work at it hard harder and in a different way, I think, as you get older. Um, and, and I definitely have seen that. And because when I competed for Mrs. United States, I had a family. I had a child and a husband and a full-time job. And I had to focus one to two hours every day that I was going to work on myself and to get in better shape, not just 
physically, but mentally as well, because I wanted to be sharp. So I so get that balancing. So how do you now, because you definitely have one of those types of jobs that is intriguing. So tell us about like what your day-to-day is and, and what drew you to your profession and also what drew you to the Navy. So my, a day in my life involves my alarm clock going off at 4.30 in the morning. Oh my. (laughs) I know. I I just, I already could see how everyone's going to be like, oh my gosh, does this girl ever sleep? Yes, I do sleep. Um, The military has trained me very well to sleep when I can, so I can fall asleep very, very quickly. Um, But yes, I start that early in the morning. As I tell the Italians, I palestra gymnasia, um, presto, presto early. So very early, molto presto, very early. So every day, I go to the gym and for me, it's not just about being like you mentioned mentally, physically and mentally, I feel better. So if I run, if I lift weights, if I do Pilates, it's a great way for me to start my day because I start at the hospital at 730 and I've already, I already feel like my day already has a sense of accomplishment because I did something for me. Wow. And I think that's really, really important. Um, how I got into the Navy and how I got into my profession it's kind of a long story, but I will give you the cliff notes. So when I was in college, I had a communications major. I thought I wanted to be the next Mary Hart on Entertainment Tonight, Giselle Ronzik on Entertainment TV, uh, or uh, E, and I volunteered with my dad, who was a dentist and also a Navy dentist, at children's um, elementary schools that were low income. And we knew they were low income because of how many, how many children were on um lunches that were paid for by the state Mm -hmm. and I remember this little girl who came in eight years old she had cavities on her teeth but we didn't know it until she opened her mouth and her cavities were rotted down her teeth were rotted down to the bone so her permanent molars she should have the rest of life were gone she was taking aspirin every night she was I mean I just couldn't imagine being that much pain and this is in Reno Nevada not Cambodia or some of the other third world countries that I've traveled to. This is a a place where I live. And that's really when I knew that I wanted to go into dentistry. That was kind of a tipping point because I wanted to be part of something that I knew was 100% preventable. So when I was in college, I was told I would not get into dental school, but I did not take no for an answer, kind of something that is common in my life. And (laughs) I um, took some courses over because I went to a private Catholic college where they would tell you not even God gets an A and those priests were sincerely meant it. So I figured out how to get those grades, took summer school, went to UC Berkeley for a couple of some, uh, for a summer semester. And then when I was looking at the cost of dental school, because it is very, very expensive. A lot of my friends are in debt around anywhere from 500 to a million. Um, after are school. you kidding me? No, wow. It's that expensive. So, it is very, very expensive. If you, because four years of college, four years of dental school, a fellowship residency, it, it adds up. It adds up for a very, very long time. Wow. Um, and so, I thought, you know, how am I going to pay for this? And I thought, you know what? Let me look into the military. And so I actually met with a couple of recruiters. We went down to San Diego, and I thought, you know, anyone can do this in scrubs. Sure. Like I was born and raised in the military. This is fine. You know, I got out when my my dad my dad got out when he when I was in high school. So I never dreamed that I would join. But when I went to San Diego and I met the people and every faculty member that I met in my dental school who was not afraid of trying something new or pushing it forward, 
they all had military experience and that's what I knew I wanted to do it. So yeah, I applied for the military scholarship. They paid for dental school. And next thing you know, I've been in, I'll hit 12 years in May. Wow. That's impressive. Um, and, And you're just so structured. And I think it's important that, you know, you, you wanted something, you went for it, you got it. Now you are extremely successful in what you do. And, and by being, having had some experience and of course in pageantry, you're able to role model that for other young ladies that are, are seeking opportunity to become, you know, whatever they want, whatever they want to be. That's the whole purpose, I think, in pageantry is to be able to role model to other people while you're working on yourself. How do you balance everything that you do? And because, I mean, 430 in the morning, I mean, that's, that's, that's rough. I mean, I typically get up fairly early just for work, but um, since my son was a child, I haven't had to get up that early. And that happens to moms getting up all through the night and really, really early in the morning to start your day. So you have some time for yourself, but how do you do that? How do you balance being a commander? How do you balance being an orthodontist? How do you balance doing that while also being and competing and also being a beauty queen? Cause like what you said, it's not just about competing and winning a title and then going home. When you become a pageant queen, when you become a winner, regardless if it's a title, the national title, state title, local title, you carry that through throughout your entire reign and hopefully beyond that. So how do you balance all of that? Well, I'm doing it right now as the current reigning Miss Earth. And I will tell you, there are days where I feel like I've got it down and other days where I, I feel overwhelmed. And I, I think that's just normal. That's part of being human. Mm-hmm. I am very structured. I am a planner. I I am someone who definitely multitask and I constantly am looking for opportunities where I can mold what I have. So for example, here in Italy, I work with some awesome public affairs officers and we are constantly doing outreach with the local Italians, the local Italian community. So I look for things and I've even created some projects that encompass what I want to do as Miss Earth. So for mm-hmm. example, as Miss Earth, the focus of the pageant is environmental awareness, um, doing things that preserve our Earth. So I organized a cleanup with UNESCO, which if people don't know, UNESCO protects a lot of the areas and sites all over the world from being um, destroyed or from being, you know, I guess, modernized. And so we cleaned up several sites that had a lot of pollution and trash. And that was something I did in coordination with the Navy, as well as being Miss Earth. I just did it um, outside of my working time. So again, it's looking at what you want to do and planning it out. Anything big task looks daunting, but it's really figuring out, okay, what are the steps I need to, to get from point A to point B and point B to point C. And eventually as you're kind of, you know, building that, building that project, Mm-hmm. you've got it done. And so that's what I've been doing throughout my year is planning out things, keeping my director in the loop. We talk once a month as well as my sister Queens, and then looking at the things that are coming up with the Navy and figuring out, okay, how can I incorporate what I'm doing as Miss Earth and the Navy and melding it to one? And same thing with being an orthodontist. Mm-hmm. There is tools and things that we, we use that are environmental friendly and some that are not. And so it's finding ways to be very creative in order to kind of, I guess, kill two birds with one stone. And that's what I've been focused on this year. So for example, yesterday we had a wellness fair and that was something I could do as Miss Earth because I'm on my off time, but it's on my military base. 
and with the local community. So that's, I, I would definitely tell people that is one way I'm able to do it. Another thing that I always tell people is you're gonna make some something important in your life, you're gonna make it a priority. And for me, this is a priority. You can't make everything a priority, that's that's impossible. But for me, what works has worked for me is having projects to build towards and look for and make a big quality impact and really leave my imprint on the community and that project. So that's kind of what my focus has been as Miss Earth is working my way up to different projects mm -hmm. that I can encompass that doesn't take away from my role of being an orthodontist and being in the military on a day-to-day -day basis. That's good. What you're doing is you're being unique to you. And I think that's an important element in competing and reigning and just being an individual that gives back in the community is you've got to make it unique to you and you've got to make it work. And people get so overwhelmed with thinking that they have to do a tremendous amount if they're volunteering or if they're giving back. They have to, they, they overwhelm themselves. And I think it's important to do exactly what you've done. You incorporate that in with your work. You make it relevant to who you are, to what's important to you. And then you gauge yourself and you organize it so that you give your time when you can give your time. And I think it's so important to do what is best for, for you, for each individual, whether that is... 30 minutes a week or whether it's 30 minutes a month or whether it's 30 minutes a day or whatever time you have. So I think that's important and it makes you impactful then because you're doing something that is unique to you. So bravo or brava, I should say on that. Fantastic. <laughs> so what is it like to, you know, you're an American and you are now in Italy and of course you travel with with what you do being in the Navy, but what is it like to compete internationally? What is that? It's got, it's got to be a whole different kind of feel than competing here in the United States. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I would definitely say you have to be prepared for almost anything. You mm -hmm. have to be prepared. For, I have a million transformers and converters because even a curling iron, a U.S. curling iron, you plug it in a European outlet and you could destroy your curling iron. It can be <laughs> or more importantly, your <laughs> hair. <laughs> yeah, your hair, exactly. Um, you, you, you know, you really, you, it's, it's a lot of trial, test and trial. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've gotten simple things like my nails destroyed or I went to the grocery store and thought I was buying something and it was completely something else. So, you know, it, it's kind of like moving to a new place where you can kind of read the language, but you really can't. Mm -hmm. Um, Italy is a little easier than Japan because in Japan, reading kanji, katakana, hiragana is symbols versus here at least English letters. But either way, I would tell you the best way to compete is embrace yourself in the culture, emerge yourself, learn the language. I found that the simplest thing that as an American is if you can try to speak someone else's language, it is the highest form of complimentary to them because Unfortunately, as Americans, we sometimes feel that we are entitled and we don't necessarily have to, we expect people to speak English, even when we're in another country that is not an English speaking country. And when you do certain things such as speak someone's language, where you're respectful or you um, adjust to their culture or customs. For example, in Japan, I would be constantly bowing, constantly bowing. We're here in Italy, it's always kiss on the cheek, como stai, and or piacere, which means nice to meet you. Those small gestures will pay huge dividends in the futures. And when you compete internationally, 
that can make the difference of you having a pageant where you enjoy and had a good time versus one where you maybe didn't get as much out of it. That's great. And I think that's always good anytime you're visiting anywhere or living somewhere is to learn the language. And it is hard, but when you immerse yourself in the language, you, it's easier, I think, than sort of learning and not being in the country. So, and just learning, don't you think learning just maybe the good he- hello, goodbye, thank you, um, the simple things like that show that you care and then you can build upon that even when you're oh, visiting. Absolutely, absolutely. When you do those simple things, you are able to um, you're able to meet people and you're able to find out things you wouldn't find about. Um, I've been taking some Italian since I've been here through school and I had a professor um, that I was working with and now I'm able to kind of pick up things. I may not understand everything they're saying, but I'm picking up the gist of things where that could be really helpful if you're lost and you don't know where to go or, you know, some, a a place says they're open, but they're not. It's, it's really, really helpful. And you'll find there's a lot of overlapping. So one of my good friends speaks Spanish. Well, Spanish and Italian are very, very similar. Mm -hmm. So we were at a place where we had locked ourselves out of the hotel and between the two of us in the middle of the night, we were able to get inside, but you know, it's, it's also having a sense of adventure. I would definitely say that is definitely require a sense of adventure competing internationally versus the States. Things are not always what you expect them to be here. <laughs> be prepared for everything. <laughs> be prepared for everything um, and learn how to pack lighter. Oh, my goodness. We European size luggage of what you can bring on airplanes is a lot smaller than the United States. Mm-hmm. We, are, we are so spoiled. So I've learned how to be more of a master packer and um, shoes. Walking on cobblestone is not the same with high heels, ladies. You have to be very careful over here. It is a death (laughs) trap. (laughs) Oh no, oh no. Well, I think that's just a, that's actually one of the shows that I want to do is talk is to talk about how we can survive with more, we can live with more and on a lot less. And I think in America, we do tend to be, you know, go big or go home. Everything is everything is Texas sized in America, it feels like. And it's about really, having doing with less i mean the closets are smaller over there the bathrooms are smaller over there for the most part the homes are smaller in europe and you know i love that i love just minimizing or minimalization of everything and just making it smaller making having less and having just what you need i think that's a whole nother topic but so true it rings very true with traveling which you know traveling abroad and living overseas has got to be really hard especially when it comes to your skincare, which is extremely important, I think, to, you know, whether you are a man or a woman, taking care of your skin is so important. So how do you how do you do that with with traveling as much as you do in the kind of lifestyle that you have? I am addicted to sunscreen. If that is one thing I could say I am very religious about is sunscreen. Um, that is something that I put on every, every single day, and it's something I pack. So that is one thing I would definitely um, tell people that's been a godsend for my skin The other thing is I always just bring big hats and sunglasses with me everywhere. (laughs) And one thing that I did adopt from the Japanese, because they also are very all about their skin, is I have driving gloves, which I know sounds so crazy. No, I I do too. I I do too. (laughs) I love the driving gloves. One of my best friends gave them to me for my birthday. I love it. Go girl. I love that. It's all about taking care of the skin. (laughs) <laughs> yes, I, I, it really does help. But, you know, I also feel like also what you eat and put in your body makes a difference. And that's one thing over here in Europe that they do really good. So there is no such thing as organic here, really. There's no such thing as um, 
you know, worried about pesticides or free range, everything. You bite in a tomato here and it's the best tomato of your life. You bite in a piece of lettuce and it tastes so flavorful. I, you don't put salad dressing on your salads here. Mm -hmm. And a lot of my friends who've come over here who maybe have allergies to, or they're lactose intolerant, they come over here and they can eat everything and they have no problem. Like even the wine, they don't put sulfates in their wine. So food doesn't last as long. It doesn't look as pretty as the U.S., but it is going to be the best. I mean, you're just going to enjoy it so much more. So um, it's, uh, yeah, it's beyond, it's just, it's, I'm, I'm definitely spoiled. I'm afraid I'm going to go back to the States and everything's going to taste plastic to me. <laughs> <at this point. laughs> I know, I know everything is so, so I haven't been to Italy yet. I really want to go. It's on my bucket list of things I want to do, but I'm very fortunate in that my husband's from England, so we get to go to Europe. And my son's traveling to um, living in Germany starting next next well, no, May. And so I'm hoping that I can visit Germany. And I, and I do want to get over to Italy. But the one thing I will say of what I've experienced thus far in traveling, that you're right, the food is so much fresher. They don't have the uh, – it's not – there's no GMOs when you travel and eat in Europe. And you're able to, I think, eat more and experience more because you walk more, you do more. It's it's a whole nother, it is a whole nother world. It's a whole nother world. So I, on average, I mean, I, on average, when I'm traveling, I will walk 10 to 12 miles a day easily. Mm -hmm. And you won't mm -hmm. even realize you're doing it. It's right. just because that's the best way to sightsee. Um, I've destroyed so many shoes. I think when I was in Japan, um, my last overseas tour, I went through 15 pairs of shoes where they were like completely destroyed, could not repair. And I'm, I definitely have some shoes that are well on their way just because that, that's how you explore it. Over here, it's all about experience and not having as much stuff. So they have these tiny carry-on suitcases you use to travel, and you just wear some of the same stuff over again. Everyone does it, and you just it's just it, the experience of being somewhere and being in awe. And so that is probably the best part about living overseas is you don't feel tied down to having so much stuff. It's more about getting to that place and just enjoying, enjoying it for what it is. And you immerse yourself in the culture, which is really, I think, educational in itself. Um, and just to be part of that, it, it's, it's a lot, it's a lot that you can learn from that. So you'll come back. Um, as how long do you plan to be, you know, traveling abroad? I mean, is there a certain term or a certain contract with the Navy, um, that you travel before you come back to the United States? How, how does that work? So I am on a set of orders uh, here till July 2020, and then after that, okay. um, either they may extend me again or send me another place overseas or back in the States. It just depends on the needs of the military and where they need my skill set. Right. As far as me coming back to the States, I come back about two or three times a year. So my next trip back is actually to Los Angeles. I'm coming for the American Association Orthodontic Conference. Nice. So super excited about that. So I'll be there for about a week and a half. And that'll be nice because there is certain things that I do miss the states that I can't find here and, and vice versa. Mm -hmm. um, so that's usually when I visit with my family. But over here, as, as long as we're in Europe and we kind of let the military know wherever we go, if we, for example, if I leave the island of Sicily and, and go visit some friends in Naples or my goddaughter that lives in Germany, um, we just kind of let, let them know. So that way, if there's anything that happens, they need to be able to reach us, they can. Well, it sounds great, and we could really, you know, learn a lot from your experiences. So if you could share with our, our listeners how do you, as beautiful as you are, and all the work that you have to do and all the work-life balance, including volunteering, what is your best tip and trick 
to be feminine in that that man's world because you are in the Navy. And how do you do it because you are living that that minimal lifestyle? How do you get how do you get that feminine look that you have and in such a short period of time with the type of work that you do? Well, I would definitely have to thank pageantry for this because I learned how to do makeup in pageantry. And Mm -hmm. no joke, this is, I said this last week, um, some of the guys I was working out with that are um, enlisted, they were telling me, Doc, you know, we need more time in the morning to get ready to get to the clinic. Can we start clinic a little later? And my words were like, if I'm a beauty queen and I can get ready before you guys, something's not right here. I love that. Oh, my goodness. But maybe that's so, because you are beauty queen. You can do yeah, that. Yeah. So, yeah. If I can get ready faster than you, you can get ready. So I would definitely say, you know, learning how to do makeup. I I would tell you when I was at my officer school in 2005, I did every girl's makeup that was in my squadron, um, mm-hmm. my group, for their picture day. Because, you know, we had 10 minutes or less. So when you learn, when you learn kind of the basics and you kind of only have so much space, you learn how to make the most of it. I have turned certain eyeshadows into eyeliners. I've used mascara in different ways. You know, I have a couple tools that I swear by. Shua Irma eyelash curler. That will like make or break anyone. You only have time to do mascara. You do those two things. Bam. You're good. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it's also, I know the military instruction for females, uh, female grooming standards really, really well, probably better than most males that are in the military. So that also helps because there is instructions on the color of nail polish to the type of shoes. And so, you know, knowing about that, knowing what you can and can't do also in some ways, I think is empowering because some of my best shoes that I have that meet military standards, they weren't shoes I bought at the military uniform shop. They were shoes that I bought at Nine West. Mm-hmm. or Clark, but yet they were sleek, they were comfortable, they looked professional. Being in the military is working at a Fortune 500 company, and yes, it is a man's world. Most people don't know, Only in our military, only 18% of it are made of females in the entire military. 18%. Wow, only 18%, but that, that's actually, you know, a, a larger number than it used to be, right? I it's, mean, that's it. Right. Yes, it's gone it's up gone. from about, it's, it's you know, it's, it started when women joined the, joined the military, which we're now going back to the first World War One mm-hmm. from serving in the American Red Cross to where we are today. But a lot of right. people don't realize that even in some of these westernized countries, such as Italy, uh, where I, I spoke there for actually International Women's Day, women in the Italian armed forces weren't able to join until the year 2000. Oh, wow. So, and we consider Italy a very westernized country. So it, you know, it just goes to show you how women in the military are kind of making their stand and making their impact. I always tell people, you know, looking sharp, looking um, present and looking on purpose is basically, you know, what you can do. And you can still be feminine. You can be confidently vulnerable and you can be strong and feminine. And that is something that I truly embrace when I talk to people because it starts with how you communicate. And again, that's what you learned in pageants. You learned how to walk into a room with a group of strangers, be clear, direct, authentic, and sweet, but also non-apologetic. And the goal is that people are going to listen to you and make you and and know that all they want to do is keep hearing you talking when the next group of people are walking through the room. So it's something that kind of goes with being feminine, being who you are, but also knowing the rules and regulations. So that way, if someone questions you, you've already got guidance and instruction to back it up with. Mm-hmm. And that's what's helped me be feminine in the military. 
Well, that is great advice. And that sounds like advice you can use not only in pageantry, in your job, in the military. Great tips, being confidently vulnerable, being knowledgeable, commanding the room, know who you are, be authentic to who you are, and just really immerse yourself in everything that you do. So thank you so much, Dr. Corinne Devon. You are amazing. You're so well-educated and well-versed in so many different cultures through your career and your charity work. So if someone wanted to reach out to you for either an appearance or to learn more about you, what's the best way to reach you? So there's a few ways. You can either uh, reach me on Facebook. I'm Corinne Devon, C-O-R-I-N-N-E. Some people sometimes misspell it. I'm also Instagram at Dr. Corinne Devon, and I also have a YouTube channel at Dr. Corinne Devon as well as my email address, drcorindevin at gmail.com. Well, fantastic. You're a beautiful Ms. Earth 2018, and it's been my pleasure getting to know more about you. And I'm just so excited for everything that you are doing with your life, and you are definitely a role model to me and to other women out there alike. So keep it up and keep competing well within your 30s, your 40s, your 50s, and beyond because um, I think it works well for you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much for being Dennis. All right. Thanks. Have a wonderful time in Italy. And ciao. Ciao. Ciao, Bella. Ciao, Bella. Thanks so much for listening. Make sure to follow me on Facebook and Instagram at Beauty Call Podcast and subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes. Thanks again for listening.